0: Um, please turn to me, turn with me to Luke six forty six through forty nine. It reads, Why do you? Why do you call me lord lord and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation of on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them with a foundation, when the stream broke against it, immediately, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Thank you. You may be seated. for reading our bible passage this morning for us and thank you for being with us. Many times I get in this pulpit and I'll say I'm delighted to be with you today and I have to say I am delighted to be with you today. I've been out for a week or so because of gospel meetings and a seminar and I'm very happy that I can be back and I'm very happy to present to you this morning uh, Preston MacAlier. He needs no introduction for this congregation. We know him well and his family well and very grateful that he's with us today and he'll be speaking for us uh, this morning if you were here in the auditorium class you had a wonderful lesson on titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 15 and we're very grateful for the fine lesson preston and i commend you to a congregation that loves god and loves one another and loves god's word and so i say this morning preston teach us the word of god
1: Well, thank you, Brother Jim, for that introduction. And and again, I am happy to be here to have this opportunity to speak. I'm always thankful for any opportunities that I get. As we think about the the Scripture reading that we just had, uh, we think about that parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And we think about what Jesus is saying, and Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do the things that I say? He goes on and he says that whoever comes to me and hear's my sayings and does them. He who hears and does. Well, I will show you who he is like. And of course, we know that wise man there, and I really like Luke's account of this parable, because he really gives the picture of hard work. He says that wise man goes and he digs deep. He digs down to the foundation to build his house so it will be firm and it will be secure. But what about the foolish man? Because what was the difference in the foolish man and the wise man? They both heard the sayings of Jesus. They knew what it was that Jesus was teaching. But the foolish man did not do. The foolish man was not willing to put in the work. I think as well about uh, Matthew chapter 20. Because when we go to Matthew chapter 20, we see a similar idea. Because we know as New Testament Christians that our walk with Christ deals with work, does it not? We have to be doing something. And we remember there in Matthew chapter 20, we see the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And we know as that parable starts out that, that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning and, uh, to hire laborers for his vineyard. And we know as the parable goes on that he would go out again at midday. He would go back out at the evening. And all of those who he hired to work were all hired for the same wages. And of course, we understand that parable, meaning that whenever we come to the kingdom, no matter what time of life we come, we all can have the same prize. We all have the same reward of an eternal life, of that eternal salvation in heaven. But the point we're trying to get at is as Christians, again, we have to work. And Christianity at times can be hard work. We sing songs from time to time, such as to the work. I will work till Jesus comes. I want to be a worker for the Lord. Or here am I, send me. And Do we mean it? If you're like me, at times I find myself sitting in the pew and I sing these songs. And when I leave the building, I have no intention to get to work. And that shouldn't be so. Because as Christians, we should be ready and we should be willing to get to work. So this morning, where I want us to take our lesson from, we're going to be looking in the Old Testament. And we know Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, because Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 tells us that whatever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You see, there's great lessons we can learn from the Old Testament, and I hope we'll be able to take something from our lesson this morning. Uh, If you would, in your Bibles, let's turn back uh, to the book of 2 Kings. We'll be looking in 2 Kings, and and we'll be taking our lesson from chapter 7. But as you're turning there to 2 Kings chapter 7, I want to, to remind us all of the context that we're dealing with. You see, if you go back into chapter 6 of the book of 2 Kings, you'll see there in 2 Kings chapter 6 and in verse 8 that the nation of Israel was in the middle of a war. You see, the children of Israel found themselves warring against the nation of Syria. It was a great war that they were in. But not only were they in a war, if you go a little further there in 2 Kings chapter 6, we see that they were in the midst of a terrible famine. You could look there, you could see how much it was that the people were willing to buy even the head of a donkey or even dove droppings to use as food. But more than that, it was a terrible famine. They were willing to eat their own children to try to survive. And this is the time set that we find ourselves in here in 2 Kings chapter 7. So where I want us to pick up and read together as we begin is in 2 Kings chapter 7. And let's start reading together there in verse 3. It says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. And so they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight, and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them, and then they came back and entered another tent, and carried some from there also, and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's household. Now, this is the text where I want us to pull our lesson from this morning. And as we look there again in Second Kings chapter 7 and verse 3, we see those four men, those four lepers who are in a hopeless state. They find themselves outside of the city because of their condition in the midst of a terrible war. But again, there's that great famine. They knew that they were facing a certain death. And so they had to ask the question, Why are we sitting here until we die? Again, we think back to those verses we considered from Luke 6, from Matthew chapter 20. And Christianity is all about work. It's about doing. It's about working for God. But when we sit here in the pew and we get comfortable in that rut that we're in, and we don't go out, we don't challenge ourselves, we don't work as we should, why are we sitting here until we die? And so this is a challenge for me, and I hope uh, that perhaps this will be a challenge for you as well this morning. And so as we consider our text, we're going to consider uh, four points. And the first one I want us to think about together is what we find there in 2 Kings chapter 7, and verse 3. Because we find that we have a common problem. We look at those four lepers there in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3, and we see their condition. They were four leprous men. They had a problem. Again, we think about uh, their condition. We think about the leprosy, that terrible disease that would affect the skin and the nervous system. And according to the law of Moses, we know that the lepers were considered unclean. They had to be outside of the camp. We can go back to Leviticus chapter 13. And we know Leviticus chapter 13 and there in verses 45 through 46 where it deals with the fact that the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare and he shall never er, and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You see, they had a problem. They're in the middle of this war and they're outside the place of protection. They're outside of the safety of the city. And not only again are they in this war, but they're dealing with the famine. They think about their disease. They think about the situation they're in. And they knew that they were going to die. And so why not do something? But We think about the common problem that we have today. We think about the common problem that man has had ever since Genesis chapter 3. We've all sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And again, we dealt with this idea a little bit in our class this morning as we think about that sin that we have in our life. And we can't deny it. And again, that's 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10, that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Yes, we deal with different temptations, but sin is still sin. And we know what sin does to us. Think with me back to Isaiah chapter 1. And as we go back to Isaiah chapter 1 and there in verse 6, we see what sin looks like. We see just how much of a problem sin is. There in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, the, the Bible says, From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed. With ointment. Uh, This isn't a very wonderful picture to think of. But if this were our physical condition. If this were the state of our physical health. Where would we be? We'd be going to the hospital, would we not? We'd be there with doctors, with specialists. Trying to figure out how to fix what's going on. So why do so many people in the world today. Why do so many people who are in the world today. That go around in their spiritual condition just like this. Do nothing about it. Why do we sit here until we die? We need to go to the one who can make things right. But until we turn to him, until we we choose to obey him, until we choose to obey God, we'll be in this situation. And we know that it's up to us because Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says uh, that it's your iniquities that have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We must turn to him. But if we fail to turn to Him and we stay right where we are in that spiritual condition, we'll be lost. Because we know Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. But why would we sit here, why would we do nothing about that spiritual condition when we know the end of that verse? That the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we think back there into 2 Kings chapter 7, We see as the context begins, as our scripture begins there, that those were four leprous men. They had a common problem. And we today have a problem as well because we all deal with the problem of sin. But as we continue to look there in 2 Kings chapter 7, the next thing I think we might be able to take from that is the fact that we have a common provider. You think back in our text there that as those four lepers, as they left and they got up uh, from outside the gate of the camp, and they went to the Syrian, or to where the Syrians had been camped out, and they realized who it was that caused them to flee. You look there, Second Kings chapter seven and then verse six, and it says the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians uh, ultimately to leave. And so we know that God was the provider, and He's still our provider today. Uh, we think, uh, we think about Matthew chapter five and verse forty-five. And we know Matthew 5 and verse 45 that says you may be the sons of your father in heaven for he, uh, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see God is the ultimate provider of all things we have in this life. And even further we know James chapter 1 and verse 17 that every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so we know that God Will always provide for us. And that's why it's so important that we turn to him, that we get out of that uh, spiritual condition we were in, Isaiah one and verse six, because of our sin, and we seek first the kingdom of God. Or we think about Matthew chapter six and verse thirty-three. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. But what is the context of that verse? Because it's dealing with everything that we need to survive, is it not? We think back up into verse uh, verse 25 where Jesus says, "Uh, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We have no need to worry about the physical things of this life because as long as we put God first, as long as we're faithful and obedient to Him, we can have the hope and we can have the trust that He will provide. We have nothing to worry about. But even as we continue, uh, we think about Psalm 23, and we all know that great psalm, that whatever it is we may be going through, we know and we can fully trust in him to provide. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God will provide. We have a common provider. But perhaps the greatest blessing of all is that He provided His Son for us. He gave us the great shepherd. And we know John chapter 10 and verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives His life for the sheep. You see, we have what we need. And we know that we can trust in God to provide for us. But again, we think about the problem we're in. We think about that problem of sin. And we certainly need a provider. But we need to understand what it is we can receive if we go to him. Now think back to Second Kings chapter 7. And we remember the problem that the lepers had, that, that they had the terrible disease. They found themselves in the midst of a famine in the middle of a war without protection. And they decided to go and to do something. And they went to the Syrian camp and what did they find? But they found a prize, did they not? They all had a common prize. We go back there in 2 Kings chapter 7. And as we look there in 2 Kings chapter 7, and there in verse 8, it says, When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Think about the joy that these men had to have had. They find that the war that those who they're fighting against have fled, and they left everything behind. Think about the joy they had when they saw the food. They're in the middle of a famine. They're starving. Remember that the people were willing to eat their own children back in Second Kings chapter six. Now they had food. They had sustenance. But more than that they had riches. There was the gold, there was the silver that had been left behind. And these men recognized the prize that they had. But what about you and I today? Do we recognize the prize that we can have through God and through Jesus Christ? I think, uh, and I want to preface this again, I'm not saying that, that by saying that we have a common prize, I'm not trying to minimize what it is that God has done for us. Uh, The point I'm trying to get at here is the fact that the prize is the same for all of us. Again, we think back to Matthew chapter 20 uh, that we referenced as we began our lesson. Uh, The the reward that we have for our work is the same no matter when we come to the kingdom. We think about what Paul would say at the end of his life or near the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and there in verse 8. We remember that he said there that, that we have the crown and it's available to all those who love him. And so we understand that we can all have that same prize of salvation. What a great prize it is we think first of all about the church. Do we value the church? Do we see what a prize we have in the church? We think back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, and we know that the church is special, that that there's something different about it, because how was the church purchased but with the blood of Christ? And so again, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, I hope that we can place value on the church. But again, as we think about these riches I think about Jesus' parables and Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of heaven. And I think specifically back to Matthew chapter 13. Because we remember there in Matthew chapter 13, uh, where we see the parable of the treasure in the field. And it says there, Matthew 13 and verse 44, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Is that how we see the church? If we had to sell all that we had to be a part of the church, would we be willing to do it? How much value do we place on it? Again, we could continue there in Matthew 13 and look at the parable of the pearl of great price. And it's there in the parable of the pearl of great price that Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, how much value do we place on the church? Would we be willing, if we had to, to to get rid of all that we had in order to obtain it? I hope we would. But even then, I think about that great prize of salvation. We know John chapter 3, and verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We think back to our Bible class this morning, and we think about that great grace of God. We know, Titus 2 and verse 11, that the grace of God, uh, that it brings salvation, has appeared to all men. And we talked about in that Bible class the fact that we don't deserve that salvation, that salvation is truly a gift. It's a prize for those who would be faithful and obedient to him through Christ Jesus. Uh, Again, we could think of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. But as we think about the fact that we don't deserve salvation, we think about the fact that it's our sins that nailed Christ to the cross, I really hope that we recognize the prize we have in our salvation. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles over uh, to Romans chapter 5. And here in Romans chapter 5, and starting in verse 6, I think we get a good picture uh, of truly the love that God has for us, the love that his Son has for us, and that Jesus was willing to die, and that God was willing to send his Son for us because we don't deserve it. We look there in Romans chapter 5, and starting there in verse 6, and it says that when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now when we read these verses, we see the state that we were in when Jesus died. We look there in verse 6, and it was while we were without strength, that Christ died for you and I, that Christ died for the ungodly. we look there at the end of verse 8, and we see that it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. And then you go into verse 10, and you see it was while we were the enemies of God, it was while we were the enemies of Christ, that He still died for us. We don't deserve it. We do not deserve that salvation, but because of His love to us, we've been reconciled to God through the death of His Son, and we can be saved by his life what value do we place on it how much do we prize that salvation that all of us can have again we think of second timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 and that crown of righteousness is available unto all those who love him do we love god enough to do what it takes to obtain that prize so we think back we think back to second kings chapter 7 and here in just a moment we'll look at what it takes to obtain the prize but before we can receive the prize, we have to hear something, right? We think in our context of Second Kings chapter 7, and, and while these lepers had found the great prize there in the Syrian camp, all those back at the city, all those back in the Israelites' camp, they had no idea. They didn't know what prize laid in store for them, except someone would tell them. And so that's our job. As New Testament Christians, we have a common proclamation. And as we think about the, the proclamation that those lepers had, what a great proclamation it was. The war was over. There was food, there was riches left behind in the Syrian camp, and we can help uh, to alleviate the pains of this famine. We look back there in 2 Kings chapter 7, and there in verse 9. And there in 2 Kings chapter 7, in verse 9, it says, They said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, And we remain silent. If we wait until morning light some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. You see, the lepers realized that if they didn't go and tell uh, and tell those back uh, the, the children of Israel, that the Syrians had fled, that there were these riches, that there was food left behind, how would they have known? They recognized it was a day of good news. Well we think about the gospel. Because what is the gospel? But it's the good news. It's the good news of salvation, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and we can be saved through his life. What a great joy it is. What, a great, or what good news it is. But as Christians at times, maybe, maybe we find ourselves like Jeremiah. And maybe we find ourselves like Jeremiah back in chapter 20 and verse 9, where he decided that he was done. He wasn't going to speak God's name anymore. He wasn't going to make mention of Him. But what does Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9 tell us? It says that Jeremiah, it says, His word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. You see, if we recognize the problem of sin, if we recognize the provisions that God can give us, and if we recognize the great prize of salvation, how can we keep from telling others about it? How can we keep from telling those who are still lost in sin about the good news of salvation? Today is a good day. And so as Christians, again, we think about the importance of teaching others. And we know certainly that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, it's the love of Christ that compels us to teach others about his great love for us. But even as we think about our responsibility as Christians to teach others, well, we know that it was commanded. Again, we think back to that great commission in Matthew chapter 28. And we know there in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 that Jesus would tell his disciples there to go, to teach, to baptize, and to continue teaching. And we understand that we have that same responsibility today. But what is it that we're to teach? We're to teach the good news of salvation. Because truly it is the gospel that has the ability to save us. We look into, uh, and of course, we know that that salvation only comes through our obedience according to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. But as we think about what it is we are to teach, we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we know that the gospel, as Paul would say there, is, by, is what it is we are saved by. Let's look together there, 1 Corinthians 15, and starting in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. You see the gospel, the gospel is that which saves us. Again, we think back to our Bible class and we talked about Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. That it's the power of God unto salvation. It has the power to change us. We remember those back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 who dealt with all of those sins. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and there, again in about verse 11, and such were some of you. What good news it is. We don't have to be lost in sin, we don't have to stay in sin any longer. Because we have the good news of salvation. But as we think about that gospel, and we think about teaching that death, burial, and resurrection, ultimately what is it we're teaching? And we know those steps of salvation. We know that ultimately to hear the gospel you must first hear. We know Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And of course we know Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, that faith is necessary, and and as we come to know who God is, we come to believe in God and in the truth of his word, we'll recognize the need to repent. We know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. I tell you no except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And it was important enough that Jesus says the same exact thing two verses later. Luke chapter 13 and verse 5, Jesus says, I tell you, no, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. But We know as well as we continue to study, as we examine what it is we must do to receive the prize, as we teach others about this great proclamation, we know that we must confess Jesus' name before men. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and there in verses 32 and 33, uh, that if we confess his name before men, he will confess our name before the Father who is in heaven. But if we deny him before men, he will deny us before the Father who is in heaven. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because we have to get into Christ. We have to obey that death, burial, and resurrection. And where is it that we do that? But it's in baptism. We know Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 that we're buried with him into his death and we arise to walk in newness of life. You see, it's that burial and water that that is ultimately obeying Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that that baptism, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, is what washes away our sins. And we know it's through that baptism, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, that we can obtain that prize of salvation. Baptism doth also now save us. And so we must teach these things, but more than that, we have to continue to teach that we must live faithfully. That once we come up out of the water, we can't just sit back in the pew. We can't just sit back outside of the gates of the city among those who are unclean anymore. We must continue to live faithfully. And that's why Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, if we remain faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. And so we understand what it is we are to teach. But again, it's a common proclamation. And just like with the prize, we're not minimizing it. But rather what we're saying is we all teach the same thing. We know Galatians chapter 1 and there in verses 6 and 7. There as Paul begins his letter to the church in Galatia and he says, I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. You see what Paul's saying is there is only one gospel. There is only one message that can be taught that can save men. And that's what you and I need to be spreading to the lost and the dying world. Those who find themselves outside of that place of safety, we need to bring them in. And so just like those lepers back in 2 Kings chapter 7, who recognize that this day is a day of good news, we need to recognize that today is the day of salvation. Uh, We think about 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, what great news that is. Because we don't know when Jesus will return, we we think about Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. That of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You see, we have a responsibility. Because we don't know when Christ will return, but we know that He will. And we know that He's going to take those who have been obedient to Him to live with Him in heaven for all of eternity. We think about John 14 and verse 6. We know the importance of spreading the word of the gospel. We know the importance of teaching it. Because if we don't, who will? I think about Romans chapter 10. And there in Romans chapter 10 and verses 13 and 14. There in Romans 10, 13 and 14 where it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, we have a responsibility to spread that good news. Again, we think back to Second Kings 7 and those who uh, were still in the camp of the Israelites. They had no idea. They never would have known uh, perhaps what great prize there was there in the Syrian camp had the lepers not decided to get up from their seats and to go and see what they could do to try to live and they wouldn't have known of the food and of the great riches left behind. Except those lepers recognized that the day was a day of good news. And they needed to go back and tell them about it. And so we think about, we think about what we learn. And as we close, we think about the question that those lepers asked. Why are we sitting here until we die? And if we find ourselves still in sin, dealing with that common problem of man... What are we going to do about it? Are we going to stay in our pew? Are we going to to stay in our comfortable little rut? Or are we willing to do something about it? Because we know as we continue that God will provide for us. And God will give us abundant blessings if we'll only come to Him. We know Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. We need to come to Him and when we come to Him and we recognize the provisions He can give, We think about the great prize that we have. And we know that it's in Christ Jesus that we can be saved. That we don't have to worry about sin. We don't have to worry about death. Because again, John chapter 14 and there verses 1 through following, we know that we can be where he is. And so we have nothing to worry about as long as we have that great prize. But how is it we obtain that prize? And again, as we've just considered, we know it's through the gospel it's through the good news of salvation. And so again, as I mentioned this, this is a challenge for me, and perhaps it's a challenge for you. But I think about a verse such as Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. When we think about Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, it says that uh, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, if we've obeyed the gospel of Christ, if we've gotten up out of our, our place outside the camp lost in sin, Let's continue to work. Let's continue to spread the good news of salvation to that lost and dying world. But at times we find ourselves falling back into that comfortable spot. And we find ourselves not really wanting to get to work. But we can change that. Because we know 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we know that when we truly repent of those sins, Psalm 103 and verse 12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, we can come back home this morning and we can get back to work on fire to spread the good news of salvation. But maybe we find ourselves like the lepers and we still see ourselves right there outside of the camp. We've yet... Uh, to enter the church. We've yet to be added to the church and we find ourselves in that lost condition of sin. We know what to do about it. As we consider it, as we think about the gospel, it teaches us how to get into Christ. Are you ready to do that this morning? Are you ready to be buried with him in baptism and arise to walk again in newness of life so that we can truly have that prize of salvation, that, that baptism that doth also now save us? Are you ready? And We can help you with that. Whatever your need is this morning, don't wait, but come as together we stand and as we sing.